0: So welcome, welcome everybody! It's uh, nice to see you all, and it's such a joy to practice together. It's a it's a beautiful thing right, to have people come together and practice and share. And so, with my co-teachers with all of you, it's just really great. I'm happy to be here. So, thank you. I'll start with a, a little bit, uh, kind of very high level um, summary of uh, on Thursday, just two days ago. Um, I gave a little talk about like these two levels of freedom with uh, respect to fear. that That is, there's freedom within the experience of fear, like just recognizing that fear arises, but it doesn't mean we have to lose all our freedom there. And so one way that we can work with it and have the freedom within the experience of fear is to allow, as best we can, the fear and the resistance to the fear to be there to stop pushing it away, to stop you know, turning away, or to stop uh, imagining or trying to make it go away in some other way. And what a really great support to allow the fear and the resistance, the fear to be there, is mindfulness of the body. Mindfulness of the experience of fear, the lump in the throat, the uh, uncomfortableness in the gut, the maybe the tension in the shoulders. And or the resistance to the fear, and this is often how I'm practicing, is the resistance to that fear, the sense of like, no, the sense of go away. No, I don't want this to be here. And that often is a tightness in the jaw. For many people, this is like a tightness in the jaw that we don't often uh, recognize. Or it can be some um, tightness in the shoulders or the neck or something like this. So that's freedom within fear. And then there's freedom from fear. That is to create the conditions in our lives in which the freedom isn't, um, or I'm sorry, the fear isn't arising. The freedom is arising and the fear isn't. And this includes some uh, sense of uh, gatheredness or collectedness, fullness of the mind and the body, some calmness and non-destruction, we might say as well as, uh, of course, awakening. The Buddha himself didn't have fear as an awakened person. So to move um, this direction towards greater and greater awakening is to move in the direction of greater fear. And then Yang also, uh, on Thursday, gave this beautiful talk about emptiness or not self as this basis of fearlessness, this recognition that fear relates to this the self, this this idea, this notion that there's this core inside of us that needs to be protected or bolstered or somehow um, needs to be defended. And often the fear is related to when this sense this core is feels threatened. And so the less we need to defend the self, the less fear there is. And part of the way we can practice with fear and freedom, is to look for that which feels threatened. Just one, what is it that inside that is feeling threatened? So with that is a little bit of a summary of what we uh, talked about yesterday. Um, I'd like to open up for questions and recognizing that Anne, I remember, had her hand up at the last, at the end of the class on Thursday. Um, I don't know. I should even check to see if Anne's, yeah, she's here. So Anne, if you'd like um to ask your question now, you're welcome to do so. And everybody else can just uh, raise your Zoom hand and we'll get you, but we'll start with
1: Anne.
2: Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Good. Okay. In the, uh, oops, my video goes. Uh, In the readings uh, on this, as you go down, there's a list of numbers. At 27, um, the Buddha talks about when he's in this thicket of, in the forest that's very frightening or not, not, not a pleasant place to be. He, um, uh, he starts uh, talking about uh, seeing his past lives and he goes through this long series of past lives, you know, and then later, uh, you know, a few more numbers down, he says that he understands um, that. Uh, you know that that if you have, if you do something in the past that's wrong, um, it affects you. And I was wondering, is is like being ethical connected with not
0: being afraid? Yes. Thank you, thank you, Anna. That's such a great question. Oh. And, <laughs> good. And do you maybe you have a sense of um, how being ethical is connected to not being afraid? Do you, do you have a sense? well i think uh if if you're doing
2: something that's not quite right you're you're, you're less secure as a
0: person yeah yeah it has both uh, i would say you're pointing out something great that um if you're doing something that's not quite right then there's you're maybe a little bit disconnected from yourself or you yourself are in a lot of pain or s- somehow not uh um steady maybe so, And then there's more likely fear to be there. But also, there's something about uh, behaving in an ethical way, in a wholesome way, which I'm going to talk more about today, and Kim is as well, that um, provides the basis for fear to be diminished. Like, okay, I know that I haven't been lying. I know that uh, I've been treating others with care and respect, so I have less to fear about from what's happening externally. And maybe I'll turn it over to Kim, David, or Ying. Maybe you guys have something you'd like to add about this.
3: Maybe i just just uh, share a, a little story uh, about this. I think of this uh, connection between um, our uh, uh, sila and uh, fear it's quite deep. I remember the first time I noticed my... Uh, my son probably lied about something. And the way I knew it was he was not at ease. He was pacing. He was so little, you know, I don't think he really understood it. But he was just pacing around in the house. And I just knew something was not right. And at some point, he couldn't hold it anymore. And he came and told me, Mommy, I lied about this. And once that came out, his whole body just relaxed. Mm-hmm. And so there is kind of a deep connection, uh, maybe um, maybe even beyond mm-hmm. <laughs> our mm-hmm. rational mind <laughs> to know mm-hmm. how that works, yeah. Camera,
0: mm-hmm. David, yeah,
4: you, okay. So oh, uh, Eileen. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Um, one thing I wanted to mention and, and feel apologetic about, but um, honestly, when fear is really intense for me, mindfulness of the body doesn't work either. Um, it's like the the emotions and the body, are they're so disconnected. But what does help is... So what I'm left with is the rational mind, and the rational mind knows how to do walking meditation, even if I can't feel it. And so oftentimes sitting doesn't work, but walking gets, the energy moving and gets me back to self. So I wanted to mention that. But I also woke up this morning thinking that feeling, I feel tense right now, feeling um, what I often feel is this wanting of safety and security. And then kind of knowing that one it's like, it seemed like, as long as there's wanting in the mind, there cannot be security. Like, like there, as long as there's wanting and not wanting, there will always be fear. It seemed. So I don't know if you have any thought about whether that's true or off base or whatever. But thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you, Eileen. This is a great point, also. But the when there's a sense of wanting inherent in that or implicit in that is a sense of lack like, I, I I I need more, or, or I, I want to be, I want to have more, or something like this. And so that uh, the wanting and the sense of lack kind of, you know, uh, build on each other. And so there's this way in which uh, not only is there a sense of, um, a sense of lack, but it's also a sense of, I don't have enough. And that this, our sense of self kind of gets uh bolstered and and then there's a sense of separation it was a strong sense of i and then there's that that's out there and that stuff that's out there isn't giving me what i want and is scary and all these kinds of things so it really uh there's so many different factors that come together that we can go down this slippery slope of uh, more and more fear but uh, i think mean, i appreciate very much that you're talking about this in experiential i'm using words and uh you know Reasoning to do it, but I love that you 're pointing to the experiential often that 's the way forward, not memorizing or knowing all this stuff that we 're teaching, but just practicing with it and noticing and and David, what would you like to
5: i I know we just have a moment before the next teaching, but I also appreciate it. just wanted to point to eileen's sharing some quiveriness coming up as she asked the question that 's just you know being with the fear in this community of practice and kind of stepping into it. So we practice here and now uh, and we want to make that part of our class, not just a study of the suttas or just a kind of conversation about practice, but really bringing bringing these things together in in a very live way. So thank you to Eileen for sharing that.
0: Thank you, David. And I'll turn it over to Kim.
6: Thank you, everyone, for your engagement with this topic. The theme for today's session uh, is the path of fearlessness. And in the teachings, we're going to describe several different approaches to that. I have the task of talking about an approach that is called doing what is hard to do. And I actually find this way of practice very inspiring. Um, One of the suttas in your handout is uh, Samyutta Nikaya 2.6. It's the third to last entry in the document. And there, the Buddha is talking with a young deva named Kamada. And the footnote to the sutta says that Kamada, in a previous life, was a meditator who had many, many hindrances in his mind. And it was really difficult for him to practice. And he didn't actually awaken in that life. And so now he's been... Reborn and he's uh talking to the Buddha about how hard it was. And the Buddha is gently but firmly encouraging him in the qualities that are needed to walk the path. You know, keep going, Kamada, you can you can do it. And so I'll just read the beginning of the dialogue. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. Um and he says, Hard to do, blessed one, very hard to do, blessed one. They do even what is hard to do, O Kamada, said the Blessed One, the trainees endowed with virtue, steadfast. For one who has entered the homeless life, contentment brings along happiness. That is hard to gain, Blessed One, namely contentment. They gain even what is hard to gain, O Kamada, said the Blessed One, who delight in calming the mind, whose minds day and night take delight in development so you know endowed with virtue steadfast being content delighting in calming the mind and delighting in development these are some of the key factors needed for our practice to evolve we've already touched into in a very practical way the connection with virtue with ethics um, and then also the the name of the sutta doing what is hard to do so part of practice one strand of our practice is to deliberately stretch ourselves in certain ways. Not just any old way, but stretching ourselves in particular ways that help us overcome things that we know are obstacles in our mind. So we can choose to take on challenges that bump us up against our hindrances and especially bump us up against our fears. And that's what we'll focus on today. So for example, if you're really afraid of death, maybe it's interesting to go volunteer at a hospice. I have a friend who did years of work with the Zen Hospice Project, precisely because he, was a, he knew he was afraid of his own death and he wanted to get close to that world. Or if you're one of the very few people who are afraid of being criticized or being seen or speaking to a group, how about taking on a leadership position? You know, there are ways that you can volunteer to do that. Long ago, I was the board president for IMC and I did not feel ready for that when it started. Um, And some of you have said during our sessions, including today, that uh, asking a question here or being in a breakout group is challenging. So maybe you're already doing this kind of practice by stretching yourself into something like that. So we can ask um, how do we choose an appropriate challenge to stretch into i think one good way is to find something that we are simultaneously drawn to but also a little scared by and i think about um, i was thinking about this stance like what what is that exactly um, i like cats and I, I have a sense of them and i've noticed that they're both really curious about new things but also kind of afraid of strange noises and strange people, right? So my friends are having some um, bookshelves installed in their house and they have these two cats and they're so interested in these new objects, but they're also quite terrified of the workers. And so they sort of waver back and forth. Should I go toward this? Should I go away from it? So if you have something like that in your mind, um, we can choose something like that, that we're drawn to, but also afraid of. It might be a a relatively small challenge like spiders or something bigger, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's time to quit your job and take a year to dedicate your life to the dharma. Maybe. So in um, Majima Nikaya 4, the sutta that we keep going back to, it specifically says that the Buddha to be chose to practice in places that were considered scary. So reading from the text, um, what if I were to dwell in such awe inspiring, horrifying abodes as orchard shrines, woodland shrines, and tree shrines? I guess those were considered scary. Uh, Perhaps I might encounter that fear and dread. And later, I, I did that. I went and practiced in those places. And while I dwelt there, a wild animal would come up to me, or a peacock would knock off a branch, or the wind would rustle the leaves. I thought, what now if this is the fear and dread coming? So we can do the same by choosing to approach activities or places or people who might bring up fear for us. And then going on in M and 4, the Buddha has a very interesting thought. He thinks, Why do I dwell always expecting fear and dread? This little line speaks volumes. So one reason that fear is so scary to us and we have all this resistance around it is that we give it tremendous authority in our mind, and our life. Anytime fear shows up, we bow down to it. We've even come to anticipate it. Oh, that's going to be really scary. So we're caught up in this cycle of expecting fear and experiencing fear and getting flustered about dealing with fear. And so it's a kind of a knot, right? And so we can start to cut through this by choosing to walk toward what is scary. Already we reduce its authority by taking that initiative ourselves, like the Buddha did. So how do we meet these scary situations like orchard shrines or hospices. Um, We can recall that the Buddha had fortified his mind first by reflecting on his own good qualities. And we can do something like that too, as a preparation, we can basically put ourselves into a wholesome mind state before we go in, just taking a moment to gather ourselves or to cultivate metta or to recall our own ethical qualities or good intentions. Uh, And then also we can aim to be mindful. So Diana mentioned how mindfulness is such a good support for being present with fear, mindfulness of the body in particular or uh, mindfulness in general. And then um, the approach we've been given is that we can determine not to change posture we can take this a little bit metaphorically as we do these challenging situations so we just calmly accept the fear while continuing to do what we're doing if we're sitting in a hospital room with somebody dying we can just keep sitting there being present if we're in a difficult conversation we just keep having the conversation so we can find ourselves able to act alongside the fear This is what we talked about a little bit last time and but to go a little farther If we keep doing this repeatedly, then we find that the experience starts to change. We start to be able to feel the fear when it starts to arise. And we might notice the mind just kind of turning away from it. "Eh, I've already seen that. I don't need to take it on right now. And it remains milder. Or we might even catch the moment of the fear dissipating, like a cloud dispersing. It just breaks up while we're looking at it and while we go through this process at a deeper level of our being we're learning first of all that we can actually do this scary thing we can be there maybe not perfectly but we can be there and we're also learning that fear is not as substantial as we thought at first it is possible for it to dissolve or to end and that's really important for us to know right and so sometimes, sometimes we get to choose like that, walk into something uh, deliberately, and other times we don't get to choose. This is life, and we get thrust into something that we didn't want to be in, that's hard to do. And even then, though, we have a choice about how we need it. So I was, um, I was part of a group of friends in college, and we were, many of us were the same year, so there was one May where we... We all graduated together and then dispersed off to the various things we were doing next. And it happened that one of the um, group, one of that, or two of that group of friends were a married couple. And they were killed a few months later in August. And the way the circumstances were, I was the only one out of our group of friends who knew that. And so I was in the position of having to tell everybody else. I was, I did not want to make those phone calls. I really didn't. Um, And I was 21. I had never had to do anything like that before, but I still had a choice about thinking about how can I do this considerately. How can I say the right words? It wasn't easy, um, but that's how it goes sometimes, right? We... We can still have this choice so remember you know what yin was talking about on thursday it's our self view that creates a key condition so we can no matter how our meeting what's hard to do comes about whether it was by choice or not it loosens this clinging to self and me and the whole situation that was sustaining our fear so you know this is this is how it is in human life So maybe the bravest thing that we can ever do is to be fully present to this moment without projection, without selfing, without grasping, to see it as empty and empty doesn't mean something is worthless or invisible. It means we see things how they actually are. We let them be as they actually are without projecting ourselves or grasping them. So can we dare to see the world as empty? As was the advice given to to the person who asked the Buddha the question about how can I not be seen by the king of death? So not to put ourselves in either as agent or as victim. The last verse of the sutta about doing what is hard to do says that for the noble ones the path is even. What does that mean? When mindfulness gets stronger, it's like ballast for our heart. Other experiences can just come and go, rise and fall, but the mind has this steadiness to it. Even fear can come and go, and it's just fear. We let it be itself. So this opens up a lot of possibilities for us when we have this evenness. There's suddenly a lot more space for care, for compassion, for wisdom, for goodwill. We can start to understand that our own mental patterns may just be caused by some fear that we have, and then we can feel, oh, we can feel some tenderness. Oh, that's why so much of that comes up. Or we can look out at the world and see that some of the bad behavior out there is really caused by fear and vulnerability in that person. We can maybe be a little bit more open. We understand a lot more how the world is working. So Diana's gonna talk later about these beautiful qualities that become available when we have done enough of what is hard to do that fear has subsided a bit, has less authority for us. And part of the path is to recognize and uphold and strengthen all of those beautiful qualities. So I think these are my words for now and We'll move along with the chance for again for uh, you to share with each other. So for that,
7: uh, David will guide us.
5: Thank you, Kim. Yeah, yeah, very, very useful, practical advice for living today, drawn from texts that date back thousands of years. I like it. So let's uh, go into breakout rooms for just uh, you know, maybe 10, 12 minutes, and talk with one another about whether you've developed, or whether you, now, with, this, with our support, the support of one another, can think of some daily life and/or meditation practices that you can develop or cultivate to meet fear to be with fear, to hold fear, to um, use fear as as part of the path, instead of as Diana said, sort of excluding it or uh, pushing it away, which is, you know, a natural, a natural urge and temptation. So the prompt which, uh, gosh, one of my colleagues put that in the chat. I'm I'm reading it from my iPad. Um, Thank you. Uh, Is what are some daily life and meditation or meditation practices that you might develop uh, to meet fear, be with fear, hold fear. Um, And as we've said before, these breakout rooms, uh, you know, I'd like to suggest, I don't think we've done it previously, that this is a good opportunity to, to listen to others. What we do, one of the things we do in the breakout rooms is support one another's practice. And we really appreciate people leaning into these, breakout rooms in this this class setting because it's a it's an important way that as a community we support one another's practice so listen um, listen learn and um, you know um, again as we've said no reason to sort of uh, impose an opinion or a view but but to maybe be more attentive to sort of others experiences Um, okay uh, why don't we begin with uh thank you diana why don't we begin with uh the person the person whose screen name begins latest in the alphabet and move the other way for a change okay thank you enjoy enjoy one another okay welcome back i hope that was hope that was enjoyable uh and that possibly something was was learned, and we'd like to invite questions, reflections too on on maybe something learned in the breakout rooms, uh, possibly something you learned from one of your uh, from one of the other people in the group and um, yeah, so feel, <clears throat> feel free to raise your zoom hand. I see that Padma has already uh, raised a hand, so Padma
8: yeah, thank you, thank you, david um, so I do have a question um. You know, it came up during these three days of um, listening to the talks and, uh, um, you know, uh, practices. Um, So is the attachment to, you know, wanting to have self-compassion or love from others is fear? Um, I'm noticing that that is a fear for me. Um, uh, And uh, how do you go about it? Basically, it's hard for me to feel in the body because I have a lot of chronic pain issues. So I can notice the mind, of course, <laughs> wanting to have that and like, God, you know, why did David say this? And why did he do this? And he could have given me some love and compassion, you know. So I see that attachment and I don't know if that's fear. So if you have something to say.
5: Oh, that, that's a, there's a complicated set of things maybe involved in, in that apparently simple question. Um, you know, there's a wholesome wish or aspiration for um, for our own well-being, right? A part of which can be, you know, physical, but a part of which can also be the way we're the way we're met by others. And um, one of the things that develops, I think, in in a practice community like this one is a place for that wholesome wish to find, um, reflection and a, a sort of a shared experience. So, but at the same time, there's two other things that may be part, you know, part of it comes up. Um, yeah, we part sometimes we can, um, be sort of pushed off center, pushed off balance a bit by the desire to be seen a certain way, right? The self asserts itself. And with that, there can be, Uh, an attachment and some desirous attachment and some, maybe some uh, wishing desiring that isn't, isn't as wholesome or as skillful. And then I would just say that the, the, that wanting to belong probably is almost innate and inherent in our, in our physical experience and our social psycho experience of the world of the social thing. And some of that is, some of that is probably hardwired. And so the, the need to belong is also part of our experience. And that comes from a very deep place, and a lot gets added to that. So that's just a brief unpacking of that question with some some thoughts and ideas. I hope, it's, I hope that's useful. Um, Debbie.
9: Thank you. That was a very enjoyable time with the people in my group. What came to mind brought back memories of childhood, how music plays an important role in my life. I love to sing and I sing in a choir and I love music. And my mom and I would sing this song from the King and I, whenever I feel afraid, I hold my head erect and whistle a happy tune. It goes on and on, but make believe you're brave and the trip will take you far. And I would do that. I'd be singing that during uncomfortable times as a child. And then as a college student, Joni Mitchell was very popular and she had this song, (laughs) There is like a wilder land stepping stone or sinking sand. And I would sing that whenever I was um, approaching something that was difficult. And upon reflection in my group, I realized that in singing the song, often in my mind, I was reflecting upon the situation, upcoming situation that not catapulted me in, but I would actually enter things with more confidence as a result. So that was so helpful to look back upon my own life and to see my own responses to fear, which even as Eileen was talking about, I get dry mouth from speaking. I was great as a teacher with lots of children, but with adults, it's a lot more intimidating. So whenever I feel that dry mouth start to go, I immediately go to a tune in my head, so. There's been that connection, fear and music, (laughs) to help me through. Yeah. Thank you for that joyous ride backwards.
5: (laughs) appreciate that, uh, fellow musician. Uh, And, uh, you know, in in other uh, settings, people have also mentioned the song Familiar to Some of Us, but not all of us, uh, um, My Favorite Things, which uh, in The Sound of Music is, is introduced as a way to help children with their fear, not just of the storm, but of the absence of a parent, of a caregiver. Um, so, you know, very, very deep fear, actually. So, yeah, and I, what I think is useful is that we make our own path in this, right? We take the tools that are available to us and our own, you know, our own individual history as a way to um, support, strengthen our, our practice. So, yeah, that's, that's wonderful to recognize that as a, as a a resource or a refuge that can support, support practice.
10: Thank you. Dave. Uh, hi. Oh, by the way, my favorite things, I think of John Coltrane, but okay. Uh, so, yes. Do yeah. The, what has struck me um, is that I've been, I've been trying um uh, this meditation stuff off and on for months at a time since 1975 in India, and but was quite seriously for the last three and a half years with you guys, and I found that, um, thanks to this c- coming back to the cushion daily, I am becoming ever more aware of when I'm becoming afraid. But this these last three t- sessions with you guys have just helped immensely in recognizing other aspects or subtleties of fear um i mentioned in our group uh the, how the physical tensions are have um i had I had not been aware of them i had just blown off body scans as there's so much yada yada no offense please but it just um and i've becoming to appreciate them so much more and then that what Diana mentioned about, and you all alluded to in different ways too. This the being comfortable with the discomfort of fear is just a whole new, a thing for me. And it's just it's just super. So coming to being a, just mindfulness through the day as a result of practicing the forty five minutes meditation morning, like every morning is just it's just been huge. It's just been life literally, literally life changing. And I thank you, and our community, I think so, oh, yeah,
5: thank you, thank you, Dave, for that reflection, and uh, a couple just little things that strike me, and I, I welcome my other other colleagues to jump in, but yeah, I loved it when you said returning to the cushion over and over again, and also that, yes, everything becomes more subtle as we move deeper, and so we notice we clear out the big fears, including like the fear of missing out, I'm sitting. And you know eventually we get down to some much more essential fears possibly existential fears that you know we can we can meet in the meditation uh, so I think we have time for one more question um, Kim yeah
7: hi can you hear me yes okay um I, I was thinking about um, something that that we, the way that Diana and Ying started today um, around this idea of the connection between Sila and fear, and as a way to, um, like gain confidence. You know, to know that you know when when I when I become anxious or fearful, to to sort of reflect on my own virtue and how I'm behaving in the world. As a, as a means of protection for myself. And um, it really connected a lot of dots. I've, I've been doing this for a long time, like 25 years. And it, it, it always interests me how when you hear things from different people, how they can all of a sudden a connection can be made. And I, I thought when we, well, actually, when we started the first day, I thought about the two terms, uh, Hiri and Otapa. You know, that idea of moral fear and moral dread and the things that, that I am afraid of or that create anxiety for me, um, in some ways are not the most important things to be afraid of. You know, the, the real fear, I think, um, when I begin to see how virtue really is a protection is to re refine and, and reflect a lot on, you know, on the precepts and, you know, looking at the Brahma Viharas, and, you know, bringing those things in so that my first response to things can be more compassionate. Um, And and I think that that comes as a result of really being willing to recognize um, that sometimes my own behaviors are directly related to my inability to be confident or to feel strong or to, and that other people are having that exact same experience. Um, yeah. And, you know, and to have some fear and to have to have some fear around not being virtuous is actually a healthy, you know, one of the elements of a healthy fear um, and not being afraid if I can't get my list accomplished. Today, you know, if I can't check all the boxes, you know. So anyway, so th- thank you very much for that.
5: And thank you, Kim, for that reflection. Yeah. And it, you make it makes a very nice segue to what Diana uh, will talk about in, in just a moment. Uh, and um yeah in fact let's just turn to let's just turn to diana i think she'll pick up several of the of the threads there
0: yeah yeah thank you thank you kim and thank you for um, everybody's comments it's uh, really great to hear this and to have a sense of uh, what's happening for some of you and you know for some of you also you're not commenting and maybe you are having completely different experiences too i kind of want to make room for whatever's happening but um i'd like to start by telling a story and this is a story that's um it's not from the canon, but it's from uh sometime afterwards, and it's about uh some monastics that go to practice. And so this story maybe I could start with Once Upon a Time. This is um where there were some monastics some monastics that were going to practice it was the rains retreat which is a time in which they wouldn't they would stop wandering around they would choose a single place and they were going to practice there for three months and before they left uh, according to the story the buddha gave different individuals different meditation subjects some of them he said okay do you know you should be doing practicing with mindfulness of breathing some of you should be doing mindfulness of death practices. Some of you should do recollections of the Buddha or the Dharma or the Sangha. Some of you should be doing the four elements. So he gave different individuals different practices based on their temperament and where they were in their practice life. So um, there's this one group, very large group, that after getting their instructions, they left to go, okay, where are we going to settle or this uh, rains retreat. And they came to the foothills of the Himalayas and they found this beautiful location, nice shade, and a nice temperature, clear water right nearby. They could have plenty of water. And then there was a town, it was very close that in this town, they loved the monastics and they were happy to support them. And when, they, um, when these monastics showed up, the townsfolk said, oh, please stay here. For the retreat and we'll support you and we'll build you some meditation huts and we'll fill up your alms bowl and we'll take care of you so the monks like okay this is the ideal location we have everything we need we're going to sit here for these three months and practice so they practice and they are um these beautiful experiences and they're so diligent and committed to their practice and they often were sitting at the foot of trees. As you know, some of you may know in the suttas, the Buddha um, gives these instructions. And there were these tree deities. Or This is a story, right? So there's these tree deities who were so happy to have these monastics there. They gladly left their trees, said, okay, we'll, we'll let these people practice here. And so they, the tree deities were wandering around. But they didn't realize that there were the monastics going to be there for three months. So then they started to think, when are they going to leave? I want to go back to my tree. It's going to be, how long is this going to be? They said, well, let's scare these monastics away. Let's make it so that they'll leave so that we can come back to the trees. So they, um, they made the visions of these goblins that would show up in, the, in front of the monastics, and they uh, made these terrible, frightening sounds, and they made these terrible scents, these smells that were just really horrible. And then the monks, they started their hearts started to tremble, they became pale, and they couldn't focus their minds. They were so agitated by the sights, the sounds, and the scents, but they didn't tell anybody. So then when there was a time for them to all come together, they looked at each other and said, oh my goodness, you're pale. Looks like you haven't been eating well. Looks like you're not doing well. What's happening? And they all said, well, you know, actually I've been quite afraid. There's been these visions and these smells and these sounds and, oh, I've been afraid too. And they realize, oh, they've all been afraid. So they go back to the Buddha. And they need some guidance. Like, okay, we're all afraid and we're not able to practice any longer. And the Buddha said, if you wish to have some calmness and some openness and this ability to practice, even in amongst fear, learn this discourse and practice in this way. And of course, this discourse is the metta sutta, the sutta on loving kindness how to have this openness of heart and how to have this wish for well-being for others. So they go back to their jungle grove and they practice with loving kindness. And the, the tree deities were so happy. They became so happy once the monastics are doing this loving kindness practice. So then they started to, oh, these monastics are wishing for our welfare. So, the tree deity started to swept the cooties of the monks and so prepare them hot water, massaged their feet, and set up a way in which they would look out and take care of them and Then, when the monastics started to take this loving kindness as a basis for their practice, then they had these deep insights, no longer having fear, and then the story goes at the end of this three month period, they all became awakened. Nice happy ending there, right, for this story. But it points to the power of loving kindness. Even though this is a story, this is true. This is something that there's a way in which cultivating loving kindness helps create the conditions in which fear doesn't arise. I can't promise that tree deities will uh, rub your back and bring you hot water and take care of your living quarters or anything like this. But it's a way that um, going into the story has a few elements, not only that practicing loving kindness, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, but also this uh, the monastics, they were willing to be coached by the Buddha. They were willing to say, oh, yeah, what I'm doing isn't working. And this willingness to do something a little bit different, that is, you know, to do a different practice, so part of a way to work with fear is to cultivate wholesome states and this willingness to be sensitive to what's happening and maybe share it with a teacher or listen to Dharma talks or read a book or something and this willingness to be coachable, to do something a little bit different than our usual way, instead of just bouncing off of the fear. because. You know as we're pointing out, and some of you have been saying that fear shows up in so many different ways. I mean, there's the obvious things: fear of failure, fear of rejection, vulnerability, loss, death, being alone, all these types of things. But it's shows up in also some less subtle ways in this way in which the the um resistance to the fear, procrastination, unable to sleep, or just not able to get settled. But promise of this spiritual practice is that freedom is possible in any setting including amidst the fear but we need a little bit more than just mindfulness I've been talking about mindfulness of the body and Ying was talking about uh, emptiness and Kim was talking about you know to do what is hard to do so to recognize we need some more than just mindfulness And there's this way in which we can undertake some other practices, as it's common to overlook and underestimate the enormous power in cultivating these beautiful practices. Something other than just mindfulness, like to complement mindfulness, loving kindness, to cultivate loving kindness, to have this as a, Part of our practice, have as a distinct practice, not something that we just do on the aside when we feel like uh we are have too much ill will. So not only as an antidote to some experiences we might be having, but to be purposefully cultivating loving kindness. In the way it creates a type of strength to our hearts and mind. In the way that um In the same way that cultivating some, we might say the word calmness or tranquility or gatheredness or connectedness or wholeness also creates a type of strength. We might even say power to the heart and mind. And in this, uh, in the the um, handout that we gave you guys on the Sutta passages, Anguttara nine five talks about these four powers that help support the five fears. And all these powers, wisdom, energy, blamelessness, and cultivating relationships, they all have to do with cultivating wholesome qualities. Loving kindness, tranquility, settledness are wholesome qualities. So part of our practice towards freedom is beginning to learn what is wholesome, what is not wholesome, what is helpful, what is not helpful, what supports this movement towards greater freedom and what doesn't. And so to incorporate loving kindness and some settling practices or calmness, tranquility, samadhi, one thing I want to point out is that loving kindness and some samadhi, I'm using the word samadhi in this really general way, settledness, calmness, Tranquility, some settled down supports happiness. Happiness is an integral part of our practice, but sometimes maybe we're not feeling happy at that time. But if we can cultivate some loving kindness as best we can, helps bring some happiness. To cultivate some calmness helps support happiness because. A mind that has a little bit more happiness, a little bit more sense of well-being, doesn't experience fear in the same way, is able to be with the fear, is able to be with the resistance to fear in a way that we can't when we're really agitated. So when there's a reservoir of happiness, our life starts to unfold differently. And maybe in the same way that these tree deities (laughs) In this story, started to behave differently when the experience, when the mental inner experience of the monastics started to change once they did loving kindness practice. In the same way, our life starts to unfold a little bit differently when we are cultivating these in- wholesome practices. Earlier, we talked about uh, Sila, ethical practices. I would put this also as wholesome. So, our ethical practices, loving kindness, and some settledness, some samadhi. But I will say that it does require that we have some faith in the investment of time, faith in the investment of effort to cultivate these practices. Like to intentionally say, yes, this is is worthwhile to spend some time cultivating loving kindness And maybe I'll say as an aside, I'm not saying specifically how to do this. Many of you know about loving-kindness practices, and there's lots of resources on how to do specifically metta practices, loving-kindness practices. There's also resources on how to uh, practice with a settling the mind that are distinct from just mindfulness. But maybe it starts with just this faith that, okay, it's worthwhile to invest in these practices and to have this time so, that this way that maybe it's not immediately obvious how it'll benefit us to do this, but just as we've heard uh, some people say this morning, once we start to practice ethics or loving kindness or settledness or even more regular mindful meditation practices can help create these wholesome qualities that are beautiful in themselves, support a sense of happiness, and can help us work with fear. So rather than directing with fear directly, working with fear directly, you can just spend some time in what's wholesome and nourishing for us. And with that, I'll turn it over to Ying.
3: Yeah, thank you, Diana. And thank you everybody for uh, uh, engaging uh, course together. Uh, With what Diana said, uh, we are going to move into a meditation together. And in this meditation, we will bring in uh, various heart qualities uh, in our practice, and kind of what Diana is pointing out. uh, At times, it may be very helpful to specifically evoke or invite the cultivation of beautiful heart qualities that may be available and accessible unto each of us. And so, um, let's do it. So um, uh, maybe just, yeah, take a few moments. You've been sitting for a while. Take a few moments to find um, a space, a place to sit or lying down, whatever the posture you may be using for this meditation. Give yourself permission to move and transition into a meditative posture. At the beginning of this meditation, just by giving ourselves permission to arrive in whatever way it may take as an act of generosity and kindness. Maybe the body still needs to move a little, or maybe a lot. Let it happen, arriving at your seat with generosity, permission, and kindness. Begin by feeling and sensing the whole body settling into the space you're in. A sense of a presence may be here. Hearing sounds, words, feeling the body sensations, or noticing thoughts, or lingering emotions. Pointfulness is front and center. At the same time, touching in, into the heart space, Whatever this word might mean to you. Inviting heartfulness to come forth. For me, there is a slight opening of the whole torso. The body may relax a little more. Mindfulness and heartfulness can both be present. Allowing the alive experiences to arise. Whether it's vibrations in the body, or elemental natures being felt, in the body touching in with our experience with the kindness kind attention. Whether experience is pleasant or unpleasant, and we feel, sense, What a kind mindfulness. Staying connected with what's here.
1: Softly
3: and gently. The phrase in the metta-sutta, being easily satisfied, easily satisfied with what's here. Whatever measure of mindfulness is good enough. Whatever degrees of mindfulness, it's good enough. Might there be some hint of a goodness when our heart and mind is easily satisfied? Maybe you can feel the body can settle ever so slightly. or the heart can be more at ease. Just this is good enough. There may be a slight sweetness to rest in the easily satisfied mind and heart. Kindness can permeate throughout the body. Or maybe even expanding beyond the boundaries of the body. Permeating, expanding, everywhere. Your body may respond to this. Your heart may respond to this.
8: tenderness,
3: some kind of well-being that can hold non-well-being. Sense of a possibility to meet that is hard to meet. A sense of a possibility to be fearless of the fear. Allow this field to expand, to include the fears that arises and passes away within our own experience. And also allow this field of a metta to hold the fear in this world, without resistance, without denial, by the boundless kindness, May this cultivation benefit all beings everywhere. Thank you, friends. So we'll uh, shift again uh, to invite uh, some additional reflections or sharing or questions you may have. Um, Whether today's teachings or the teachings we've done in the last few sessions. Okay, uh, Zochi, is that right? (laughs) Okay, please.
1: Oh, thank you. Okay, so I almost don't even know where to start. Um, The class was so good. (laughs) Um, But I'll just uh, keep my comment short and say this meditation you just did was the first time i've heard the loving kindness like this i just really appreciate it Mm -hmm. and it's really difficult for me to go with the phrases i don't feel anything i I feel detached from them i keep trying to do them and just saying don't worry you know they'll work eventually (laughs) but you know this was just a very nice way to end the class because i'm gonna start you know, kind of trying to look for different ways to bring that uh, into my practice, which I know is very useful. So thank you, and thanks to all the teachers, because everything was really nice. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, wonderful, wonderful and helpful. helpful uh, to name, you know, uh, each of us might uh, touch in with these heart qualities in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And Lynn,
11: Yeah, an early meta teaching from like years ago from the Bari people in Massachusetts has had a nice addition that I'm liking, You that I used a lot today too, which is, may I have mental happiness, may I have physical happiness, may I have ease of well-being, may I be free from suffering, may that which arises deepen into wisdom and understanding and that addition for me to the metapractice may i be free from suffering may that which arises deepen into wisdom and understanding i like personally like that addition because it allows for um, the discomfort and what can come out of that so i just wanted to share that
3: beautiful beautiful creating our own songs in our heart <laughs> and sing it to them, but to ourselves. Thank you. Hi yeah. hmm. time maybe for one more comment uh, or um, reflections. Well, if not, I'm going to pass it on to Kim.
6: OK. Uh, actually, I notice, uh, Scott, you're muting and unmuting. Were you um, were you wanting to, to speak?
12: I. I yes, <laughs> I was. And. OK, uh,
3: go ahead. Thank you, Kim, for noticing that.
12: Uh, I. I am a novice in this practice, I, and I just wanted to say I feel like this class has been another uh milestone or a step that is sort of bringing me to the conviction that there really is a there there that I guess that you, you use the language of faith, though I'm uncomfortable with that, <laughs> but it, it's a worthy way to spend my life it will make it will improve myself and m- everybody I come into contact with I think would benefit from it so mm-hmm. I just am, I have to say like just uh have my appreciation for the wisdom that is there and of the teachers <laughs> and your ability to read and and explain these texts which I thought I had studied very carefully uh You've added understanding, imparted some of that to me, and, and I am appreciative of that. So, thank you for this experience. Mm. And I, I'll leave it at that.
3: Yeah, thank you, thank you, Scott. And Kate would be the last um comment for today. Yeah, go ahead. You had to unmute.
9: Um, Ying, I was wondering if you could add the link to that, Carl. Eldridge, was it you talked about? Yeah, that's
3: right. The paper. I couldn't Um, find it last night. Yeah, I don't know. We have. I don't think we shared the paper, but I can give you the title of the paper, and um, uh, and is it Carl Eldridge? Eldridge. Yeah. Let me. Let me. um, Let me find this for you, and I will put it in the chat box. Yeah and Kim
6: okay so while she's doing that um, we're really just into the last few minutes here and um, I was I wanted to offer just some kind of words of summary and bringing together it's a lot so I won't try to do that comprehensively but we've had a nice tour right of the different kinds of fear and the resistance to it and how to meet that in the moment so that we move from fear to less fear to fearless maybe and um, and the cult the role of the cultivation of wholesome qualities in supporting that you know the fear can be so big we can sometimes just feel like how do i get rid of this how do i work with my fear i want to get on you know it's all on that side and it's like oh wait if we look also at the cultivation of the wholesome that um, that has a really big impact so maybe the summary is, um, if you're only free when you're comfortable, you're not really free. But um, freedom is possible through any kind of comfort or discomfort. And I'll also make one addition to the chat, which is the, um, the link for Donna. If you're so moved to offer, um, that's possible through that link. And you'll also get a follow-up email, I think, from the Sati Center. So very good. Maybe David can offer the merit for our time together.
0: Maybe I'll slip in here just that uh, the four of us are teaching again, starting January 30th, if uh, anybody's interested. And I don't think it's, um, uh, I don't, I don't think it's posted yet, but we're, it's calling Crafting Our Path. And uh, we just, there's a little secret why it's called this. And uh, you'll have to wait to come to the class to see exactly what crafting our path means. But just keep your eye out for that. Starting January 30th, we'll do another Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday morning thing.
5: David. Thank you, Diana. So very briefly, um, yeah, in dedicating the merit of our gathering together over these three days, maybe we can bring to mind and celebrate the goodness of heart the uh, heartfulness that Ying spoke of in the guided meditation, Um, the kind attention that Ying mentioned in the meditation that we bring to ourselves in this practice, that we bring to one another as we support one another's practice. And uh, with with the expectation and the good wish that this practice benefit ourselves, others, our relationships, and that... Uh, the goodness that we've gathered together, we don't hold for ourselves, but share as we step back out into the world this weekend, today, right now, and uh, that we take with us the wish that we be free and that all beings be at peace, all beings find contentment. May all beings be free.